Today's episode is brought to you by Kind Bar. I appreciate Kind Bars because it is a healthy snack made out of foods that I recognize and we can grab when things are hectic or the family's on the run. Kind is deeply committed to crafting food with real recognizable ingredients. And this is a disruptive notion that has sparked the creation of a new healthy snacking category. Kind is unapologetic in their efforts to challenge the status quo and shift the food industry to empower their community and my listeners to make better informed choices about health. Kindness can be a transformative force for good, and that's why I'm teaming up with Kind and Podgo to bring my listeners great discounts on these healthy eating bars. You can just go to podgo.co forward slash kind, that's P-O-D-G-O dot C-O forward slash kind, to check out the great discounts that they are offering, including a 10% off And then for military teachers, students, and first responders, for doctors and nurses, there's a 15% off. And all the details are at podgo.co forward slash kind. Remember, kind bars creating a kinder and healthier world, one act, one snack at a time. Welcome to Mighty Parenting, the podcast with real raw and relevant talk about raising teens and parenting young adults. Welcome to Mighty Parenting, a community where we help you raise teens and parent 20-somethings so they can become happy, successful, and emotionally healthy adults. I'm Sandy Fowler, stress relief coach and emotional wellness speaker and host of the Mighty Parenting podcast, reminding you to go to mightyparenting.com and get your free email series on how to talk to your teen. We hear a lot about drinking and drug usage in teens and 20-somethings, but you may be wondering, is there really something to worry about with your child? Or what if I know my child has a problem? What do I do then? Well, today's show sponsor and guest has answers for us. His name is Richard Capriola. Richard worked as an addictions counselor at the Menninger Clinic in Houston, and he's the author of The Addicted Child, A Parent's Guide to Adolescent Substance Abuse, and the accompanying workbook for parents that comes along with that. And today he is joining us to help us understand how to support our kids so we can help prevent substance misuse and to show us what behaviors we need to be concerned about and what to do if that time should come. Richard, welcome to Mighty Parenting. Well, thank you. I appreciate you inviting me to the program. I'm looking forward to our discussion. So Richard, I, the big question that a lot of parents have is we just sit there and we go like, why? Why do our kids even start? Why are our kids using drugs and alcohol? That's a good question to begin with. Um, I think for um, for some kids, um, it is, you know, the attraction of drugs and getting high. For some, it is uh, peer pressure. Uh, for some, it is fitting in. But for a large number of young boys and girls who are using uh, a substance or drinking alcohol, a lot of it is to medicate underlying issues. Uh, There might be anxiety, it might be depression, it could be uh, um, memories, it could be a lot of psychological factors that they have learned that using a substance helps medicate those underlying issues. Uh, For example, 
a lot of the young men and women that I worked with who were smoking marijuana uh, multiple times a day, when I asked them to help me understand why they were smoking so much marijuana, the number one answer that I received from them was, it helps my anxiety. Um, it helps me cope with these feelings of anxiety. So for a lot of children, when you get past just looking at the alcohol and drugs and you dig beneath the surface, you begin to see that there is a psychological or an emotional reason that is propelling them to use the alcohol or the drugs to self-medicate. That's really interesting in particular with marijuana because there's so much happening with that. There's actual marijuana, there's CBD oil, marijuana is being legalized. And I also know a lot of parents, a lot of adults who are like, man, marijuana, it's no different than alcohol. And, you know, I drank in high school or I smoked pot in college and I was fine. What are your thoughts around those thoughts that we may have as parents? Well, I can tell you what kids think, uh, because there have been surveys on, on what children think about marijuana. Um, and two things come out that are rather striking. Um, most adolescents do not think that marijuana is very harmful. They see a very low risk to using marijuana. The other thing is, when we survey kids, um, it is uh, striking as to how easy they say it is to get marijuana. They say, they say it's either very easy or fairly easy for them to get marijuana if they want it. So the availability and the low perception of harm, I think, are two factors that sort of uh, lead to increased use that, that we've seen over, over the years in marijuana use. Well, is it not harmful to them? It is harmful f uh, from the standpoint that when we understand that an adolescent's brain is not fully developed and isn't going to become fully developed until around age 24 or 25. So we have in an adolescent a maturing brain, a brain that is in the process of developing. So when you start introducing substances, illicit substances like marijuana into a developing brain, you run the risk that that child may become more dependent on marijuana and may also do some harm to the brain. For example, um, the, again, the children that I were working, that I worked with who used a lot of marijuana, we did a lot of testing on them. And what we found out was a few, a few things. First of all, their IQ scores were very high. They were in the superior range. However, the test results showed that the processing speed of their brain, the, the, the way their brain was just clicking along, was below average. And also it showed that their short-term memory was impaired. It just wasn't where it should be, which, which may result in them having some problems in the classroom where they just don't remember a lot of the details that, uh, that they're expected to learn. So the processing speed of the brain and the short-term memory uh, were negatively affected. The other thing that they would share with me was that they felt that their marijuana sapped the energy out of them, sapped the motivation out of them. 
So processing speed of the brain below average, short-term memory impaired, motivation uh, curtailed. Those are all symptoms that I saw with um, young boys and girls who were using marijuana. Now, was all of that attributable to marijuana? Probably not. But was marijuana contributing to it? Probably so. Well, and that makes sense. I mean, if kids say that they're using marijuana to help them deal with their anxiety, typically when you're looking at prescription medications that deal with anxiety, they are relaxing. They're slowing down the central nervous system. And that is something that to me would, would not exactly get you ramped up and motivated to do things. So the motivation piece makes a lot of sense. And this is not a regulated substance. There's nothing being taken into account in terms of, as you said, our child's brains or what would make sense for them, even if there was a medical reason to use it. Because that's another piece too, right? Everyone thinks, oh, well, medical marijuana. So if I have anxiety and this makes me feel better, how could it be harmful? Yes. Well, the medical marijuana, the CBD that's out there is, is, is not going to get a person high. Uh, whereas the THC that's in the marijuana that the kids are smoking uh, does get them high and, that, and that's what they enjoy about it. The other thing about marijuana and anxiety, because kids tell me that they're using it to, to help their anxiety, what they don't realize is that it has a rebound effect. Yes, it will in the moment help them with their anxiety, but in the long run, it will eventually end up making their anxiety much worse uh, because it has a rebound effect. And, and that's another thing that kids uh, are, are not aware of. I didn't know that either. I have not heard that before. That's very interesting. And, and, and kids don't think through this process either. They just want the relief. Um, you know, if they're, if they're having an, what I call an intolerable feeling or an intolerable thought or an intolerable emotion, they're like everybody else. You know, they want relief because it's intolerable. And, and, and they've learned that the one thing that marijuana does for them is it brings down that level of anxiety. It calms things down. And then that starts to reinforce itself. And then before you know it, it gets out of hand. And a child is smoking marijuana, not just once a day, but maybe two, three, four or five times a day. How would we know if our child is well, smoking marijuana or, or utilizing other drugs or misusing alcohol? What I advise parents to do in the book is, um, is, is pay attention to changes that you see in your child. Um, uh, be aware of, of, of differences that you see. For example, uh, you may have had a child who uh, was earning very good grades and doing really well in school and, and, and the performance and the academic uh, uh, success starts to, starts to decline. You might have a child who enjoyed participating in sports. Uh, the child no longer enjoys that and doesn't participate anymore. You may have a child who took pride in their appearance and no longer does so. Um, you may have a child who uh, would share their friends with you so that you knew who their friends were and now becomes very secretive of that. So my advice to parents is pay attention to changes that you see in your child. 
in their attitude, their appearance, their behavior. They could all be signals that something's going on. Might not be related to alcohol and drugs. There might be some other emotional issues going on, but you want to use those changes, which you observe as a warning sign that, uh, that you shouldn't ignore and that you need to uh, look into a little bit further. So those are warning signs. And I believe you also talked about some behaviors that can be indicative of drug and alcohol misuse, um, kids becoming angry and that sort of thing. Is that the case as well? That can be the case. Again, that gets back to maybe a change in their behavior. Maybe the child now becomes very angry, whereas before they, they, they weren't prone to anger or, 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 or maybe they're becoming uh, more angry more frequently. Maybe they're having outbursts. Uh, maybe they're having more arguments. Um, maybe they're uh, becoming more oppositional. Uh, so those are those again are all warning signs that um, as parents we just can't dismiss. We we need to not just react to those behaviors because parents usually will react to those behaviors, but more importantly, uh, follow through to see what's really going on, and 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 that may require a, a professional assessment. So well, that was my next question, right? We see these warning signs we see some changes in our child's behavior. What's the next step for us as a parent? What do we do when we see that? Not ignore it, <clears throat> not minimize it, um, and, to, um, and to take steps to get a professional assessment. And by that, I mean, as, as a parent, we need to look beyond just the alcohol and drugs. You know, I could send a child to uh, an addictions counselor like myself and get an addictions assessment. And, and clearly that's called for and that's very important. But if that's all that I do, um, I, may be, I may be missing a bigger part of the story, a bigger part of the picture. And that is what's driving this alcohol and drug use. So that's where other type of assessments come in. For example, you want to get a complete physical examination. You know, you want blood work, EEGs, EKGs, maybe a genetics test. You want to do a comprehensive physical examination to see if there's anything medically that might be going on. The next thing you want to include is a psychological examination or a neuropsychological examination. And that's where uh, a psychologist is going to look at various aspects that might be going on with your child. They're going to assess perhaps the short-term memory. They're going to look at the uh, social issues going on. Basically going to get a comprehensive psychological assessment. There might also be a, um, um, uh, a social history taken, which examines various aspects of the family. You know, is there a family history of addiction? Um, are there family issues that are going on? So when you put that entire picture together, the addictions assessment, the medical exam, the psychological exam, then you've got a complete picture of what the what's going on with the child and you can arrive at a, at a comprehensive diagnosis. And, and getting an accurate, comprehensive diagnosis is the key to treatment. Okay, before we talk more about that, I feel like maybe I missed a step here. I feel like, so I'm a parent and 
I see a couple of warning signs in my child. And I understand that if they're using drugs and alcohol, that there may be more behind it. And so if I, I know that's what's happening, then getting some getting these assessments, which you explain in more detail in the book, can be helpful. But I feel like there's a, a something in between there. If I see a warning sign, I don't feel comfortable as a parent just going straight to, hey, we need to get you evaluated because... I see that your your grades have gone down or you've become moody. Right, right. And, and, and you know, you would, you would go to uh, an immediate assessment the more extreme the issues are. If you've just discovered for the first time that your child might be drinking a little bit of alcohol or maybe, you know, this is the first time that you've, that you've smoked pot, the first thing you want to do is have a conversation with your child. You want to see, uh, are they willing to discuss what's going on? How open are they? How honest are they? Um, now, you may have a child that's just going to shut down and tell you nothing's going on. Well, that's a warning sign. On the other hand, you may have a child that is willing to talk to you and to explain to you what's going on and maybe explain to you that the reason they tried marijuana was they heard that it helps with anxiety. You can discuss that then with your child. So the first step really is to have a discussion with your child to see if they're open and willing to talk about what's going on. A lot of that's going to depend on the relationship that you've built over the years with your child or, the, or, or how they perceive you know, you, you, you uh, connecting with them. When we ask students, when we ask adolescents, what is it that keeps you from talking to your family about your substance use? What they said was they have a fear of being judged. That mm -hmm. was their number one fear. And I think parents need to understand that, that, that adolescents are reluctant to share this with their family because they fear they might be punished, they might be looked down on, or they may be judged. So just knowing that information is helpful when you sit down and have this conversation with your child. And I'd heard the same thing in, in the addiction recovery community. And to some degree, we hear that across teens in general. The other thing that we hear from teens in general is they don't want to talk to their parents about things because they're afraid of the parents' reaction, which is ties into the same idea. And they're also afraid that their parents are going to take over. And they don't know what that means. You know, mom and dad might just jump off the, the edge of the cliff and do something <laughs> drastic. And this this child of ours has to live with what we do. So I can see where the conversation really needs to be while well, we talk about mighty parenting conversations here, right? Where we're coming from a place of curiosity, where we're really listening to our kids. And Richard, I love the way you said when we were talking before, you said we need to listen to their feelings behind the words. And yes, I think I think that's really important. And, and the workbook has some tips on being able to do that. And the better that we become as parents um, or even as adults, in, in listening to what's beyond the words, then we really can start to connect with our kids. And being in that place of, of working through it together, instead of just that jumping in, taking over things, because again, that that's part of what scares them is, well, what are mom and dad gonna do? Yes. So um, having yeah. that conversation and having many conversations 
having many conversations and starting to build that relationship early on, uh, you know, maybe as a preteen or during the early adolescent years to start to lay that foundation of, of communication and trust is very important. But it is scary for parents, um, you know, when you find out that your child has been drinking alcohol or smoking marijuana or using another drug, that's a very scary uh, realization for parents. When I sat down with parents and I went over their child's history of using alcohol and drugs, one of the first comments and, and the comment that I heard most often from parents was, I had no idea this was going on. I didn't know anything about it. Or if they did know, they would say to me, I had an idea this was going on, but I had no idea that it was this bad. So it's a very scary thing for parents. And I think a lot of times our natural reaction is to come down on the child. Um, and we have to get beyond that to, to moving towards having a conversation with our child. And I like that in your workbook, you give us a place to work through some of our emotion. Because when we're scared, like you said, a natural reaction is to come down on the child. And the reason we're coming down on the child is just because we want this to stop. We want our kid to be healthy and happy and emotionally healthy and having a good life. And we don't understand this. We don't really know what to do about it. We're blindsided by it being here or being so bad. And so we just jump on them to try to quickly fix it. Right. And it's not a quick fix. So taking some time to work through what we're feeling so we can then be the parent who's actually present for our child in this type of conversation that you described, this way of listening and being there and being supportive and we can work through this together. We can't be that parent if we're completely freaked out. That's right. And, 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 and we need to pay attention to what's going on within us. We need to be aware of the emotions and what's behind them uh, because they can be very intense. We, we, we get scared. We get frightened. We want to protect. We want to overprotect. We want to control. Um, and, 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 and I suggest that any parent who buys the main book also get a copy of the workbook because there are sections in there that will help the parent uh, get in touch with their own emotions, check their own emotions, rate their own emotions. Um, and there are some coping skills that can help you with the intense feelings of anxiety that may accompany knowing that your child is using a substance and how you can help yourself with those feelings of anxiety. Yes, and we'll have links to the book and workbook in the show notes from today's show. So that will be there. So this is what we're doing. So if we see some warning signs, we need to have conversation. If we see that there is a real problem here, we seek professional help. And that means going to treatment. I just want to take one more step a little further back before we get into the treatment piece. What can we do to prevent any of this from happening in the first place? What can we do to help our child? You said at the beginning, you said that, you know, our kids use drugs, some to get high, some for peer pressure, some to fit in, and many to deal with their feelings. So what can we as parents be doing to help them with those situations so they don't turn to substance misuse and abuse? Begin at a very young age to develop that sense of trust, 
that open communication uh, with your child so that you develop a sense in that child that they can turn to you if they have any questions or if they're dealing with any issues. You want to be a source of of information. You want to be a source of comfort. You want to be a parent that they can turn to if they have a question or if they feel pressured or if they feel like they want to experiment with a substance, that they can have a conversation with you about that. And you try to build that over time. Um, And it's never too late to start. Uh, Obviously, the younger you start, the better, but um, it's never too late to start developing that foundation of trust and open communication. You want your child to be able to rely upon you to be an advisor and to be there when they have questions or feel pressure. When you talked about them talking to you about, you know, being interested in experimenting with something, it reminded me, I had a conversation just recently with my daughter asked her if she remembered when she and her sister were little, like four, they were interested, of course, in matches and fire. And we all tell our kids, don't play with matches. I also knew I had one child who would definitely be off playing with matches in her bedroom. (laughs) So (laughs) I just, I would sit them at the kitchen counter. They like to play with wax. So I'd give them birthday candles and matches and I gave them a plate that they could do this on so they weren't going to burn down my house. And I sat there with them just watching while they did this. Mm -hmm. Well, I've seen the same thing in parents. My kid's going to drink anyway, or they're smoking marijuana anyway. I want to give them a safe place to do it. So I'm going to let them do it at home. What do we need to know about that? Is that a good idea? Is that helpful? Is that dangerous? <laughs> That's a very dangerous attitude uh, because um, uh, you may start off thinking that your child is safe there, but you really have no control of them using the substance outside of the house. The more they're encouraged to use it in the house, then they begin to develop the perception that, hey, it's okay. It's not a big deal. Even if you tell them, look, you can only do it here in the house, um, chances are it may. Uh, it may go beyond that. And there have been studies that have shown that um, a a child um, uh, in high school, for example, uh, who lives in a home that it's made very clear that alcohol is is not acceptable. Uh, It is not something that they should be doing because they're underage, is less likely to use alcohol when they go off to college. So you want to create that protective environment at home because they're not always going to be home. You want to have that protective environment. And that starts without, that starts with um, basically not having an attitude that it's okay to do something illegal in the house, but don't do it outside the house because that sends a mixed message. And it's interesting that there are studies that actually show that because this has been a conversation amongst parents for a long time. And I even, I know even when I was in high school, some parents would go, okay, you know, we're gonna let the kids drink at the house, so we'll keep them safe. Um, So it's very interesting to me to notice there's a study. And I've also kind of seen that anecdotally amongst my friends with kids or other parents I know with the exception that you mentioned of kids who are using drugs or alcohol to self-medicate, the ones who have that emotional pain, those feelings that they can't or just don't want to deal with. 
in, in those kids, I see that they would still end up drinking or using drugs in, in say in college is mostly what I saw. There's one other thing I would suggest to parents too, and that is keep an eye on your alcohol if you have it at home and keep an eye on your prescription medicines if you have them at home. They should be locked up in a secure place. Um, I've had adolescents who will get into the medicine cabinet and they're, they're smart enough not to take it all, so they will take a portion of it. And, and most parents aren't keeping uh, you know, numbers on how many pills they have and all the medicines that they have at home. They're not monitoring their liquor. I had a, I had a young man, for example, who would get into the family liquor cabinet and he would get into vodka, which is a clear substance, and he would take a portion of that vodka and replace it with water. Um, and I don't think the parents ever caught on until it was too late that he was getting into the medicine cabinet, or, or in this case, the alcohol cabinet. So um, it, it's very important that whatever medicines, prescription, even non-prescription medicines that you have at home, that you secure those and keep tabs of them. Okay, so I know we kind of went through this backward. We started out with, you know, kids who were dealing with addictions, substance misuse and abuse disorders. And then we went back to, well, if we're just seeing warning signs and well, how do we prevent it? So let's fast forward now and go, okay, you know, we, we've done our best up to this point and yet we find ourselves in a situation where we have a child who definitely is misusing and abusing substances and we need some professional help we need treatment what do you want us to know about treatment there is no one size fits all uh, every treatment has to be individualized and, and that gets back to the point of a comprehensive assessment which looks at a lot of different issues once you have the results of that comprehensive assessment assessment, then you can develop a treatment plan. Uh, you not only get a diagnosis, which tells you what's going on, you get a, a, a treatment plan. So because not everybody has the same plan, there is no one size fits all. It really depends on the unique situations that are confronting a child in a family. For some families and for some kids, they may do very well in an outpatient program where they see a counselor maybe once a week. Others may need what's called an intensive outpatient program where they will go into a program every day of the week for two or three or four hours. For more severe cases, uh, like the ones that I dealt with, those children have severe psychological underlying issues in addition to their substance use that in most, in most cases, we're looking at a residential treatment program where a child is going to be in a treatment for a long period of time, you know, anywhere from three to six to 12 months. But that's usually driven when there are really some severe underlying issues. For example, there might be uh, an emerging uh, schizophrenia issue that's developed. There might be a severe depression issue that's developed. There might be a severe eating disorder or self-injury that's, that's developed along with the alcohol and drug use. Those situations usually will warrant some type of inpatient longer-term treatment. If you have a, a young man or a young woman who's smoking marijuana or drinking alcohol, uh, he or she may very well do uh, uh, just fine with an outpatient type of program 
or seeing a counselor. So it really does depend on the unique circumstances that come out of the comprehensive assessment. That's what's going to, to drive the treatment. And I just want to encourage parents, when all of this is going on, make sure that you're getting support for yourself too. Yeah. A support community, counseling for yourself, because when we live in a situation where we have a member of the family who is dealing with issues, Richard, correct me if I'm wrong, but what I see is that we develop dysfunctional methods of living and functioning in that household. And one of the things our child will need is for us to learn to interact with them differently. That's very true. And, and it's an excellent point that parents need support too. Parents need help as well, especially as they're going through this, because they're going through a whole range of emotions. Everything from, well, how did I miss the warning signs? What did I do wrong? Uh, putting a lot of blame on themselves. And, and the family then can become you know, dysfunctional because that then spells over into the relationship with other members of the family. So I think it's, 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 it's important that parents reach out to form a support group. If they don't know where a support group is, maybe check in with their uh, local mental health association, check with their family physician, their school counselor, and get the type of help that will, that will benefit them as they go through this process. Well, Richard, I still have so many things. I know we could talk about this for hours and we could talk about so many things that you've already covered in your book, like knowing the various drugs that are available to our kids and other methods besides drugs for getting high, being aware of things like processing disorders and how that changes when a child is abusing drugs or alcohol at the same time they have a processing disorder. Let's see what else. Um, understanding the treatment options that are available. I know you touched on it here, but explain that much better in the book along with the elements of treatment and planning out the scope of treatment. So I would like to thank you for spending this time and I appreciate the way that you've covered all this in your book and still managed to keep it to something that we can read in an hour or two. So there's not a big, huge overwhelm there. So could you let our parents know where they can find your book? Yes, thank you. Um, I would encourage parents uh, to visit the, the website. Um, and the website, you will be able to see endorsements for the books, reviews for the book. You can read a sample chapter uh, from the book. Uh, it has information on the, um, on the parent workbook. Um, and all of those you can, uh, you can order uh, from the website, as well as uh, there is a link that will allow you to uh, send me a message. So I would encourage uh, parents uh, and anyone else who's interested in this issue to visit the website. The website is www.helptheaddictedchild.com. Great. As I said, we'll have that link for you in the show notes. Richard, thank you so much for spending this time with us and helping us understand uh, substance misuse and abuse in our kids and to help prevent it or help us manage it should we find ourselves there. Thank you so much for uh, hosting the program and for helping me to reach out to parents and others on this subject. Um, I really appreciate your taking the time to, uh, to do this. And Mighty Parents, thank you for being here. If you enjoyed this podcast or you know another parent who could benefit from it, please share that with them. And also like, rate, and review it on your favorite podcast player so other parents who need this information can find that. 
Thank you for being here with us today, for being part of the Mighty Parenting community. Remember, if you're here, you're listening. You are a mighty parent. You got this. And I will see you next week.